The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, Springs Church. Welcome to all of you. In the name of Jesus Christ today, it is so good to have you with us. And if you are a visitor, I just want to take this moment to welcome you especially and thank you so much for Joining us for worship this morning, we're always happy to see new faces, and we want to connect with you if we can, so if you'll give us a chance to talk with you afterwards, if you'll fill out a visitor card, we'd just be so grateful to get a chance to get to know you. I'm glad to be with you this morning. It has been a little bit of a week in the Vanderzee household. Um, our son Asher had RSV, actually, so we were in the hospital quite a few days this past week, um, and then we also had some court stuff for our foster son, Jeremiah. So between hospitals and courtrooms, it's been kind of a week, but uh, praise God, we've, uh, we've come out on the other side here, and I just want to thank you. I stand up here again with a debt of gratitude to each and every one of you for all your prayers, for your texts and emails and well wishes and sandwiches and babysitting and everything. So thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts. We're, we're really, really grateful for you. Um, it's good to be with you, though, to continue Advent, the Gospel of Peace, today. And it's our third Sunday of Advent. We have been in Isaiah the last couple Sundays. We're in Isaiah this morning, and we'll be in Isaiah next week because Isaiah is really the prophet of Advent, more than any other prophet, Isaiah is the one who resoundingly, continually announces the coming of the Lord for his people and the salvation that he brings. And so we find ourselves again this morning in Isaiah in chapter 35, if you want to turn over in your Bibles. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, be strong, do not fear, here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For waters shall break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals shall become a swamp. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there. And it shall be called the holy way. The unclean shall not travel on it, but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fools, shall go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. 
And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness. And sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Let's pray. Lord God, we give thanks to you this morning. We thank you for your holy word. Your holy scripture. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would illuminate it in our hearing this morning. We give thanks for your gospel of peace. Teach us to live it, to know it, to believe it, to love it, and to proclaim it. God, I ask for the gift of preaching this morning. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Most of you know that I grew up in South Dakota. But not the pretty part of the state, not the western part. I'm from the flat, boring, southeastern corner. uh, Biggest city in South Dakota, Sioux Falls, which means about 200,000 people. But I grew up in South Dakota, and I actually grew up about five miles south of Sioux Falls. And so I was out in the country on 15 acres from the ages of 4 to 18. And unfortunately, nobody in my family had a green thumb at all. We had 15 acres, but we couldn't grow anything. We weren't farmers or gardeners, and so most of the year would just kind of sit and lie fallow the land, except when Brad Schott showed up. Brad Schott is the father of one of my oldest, dearest friends, and Brad would show up on our property, our house, and he was the one with the green thumb. He could actually grow just about anything. He was a farmer, a gardener, and so he would come out to our land and he would grow the most delicious muskmelon you've ever tasted. He would grow corn, he would grow tomatoes, he would grow these beautiful zinnia flowers. Brad would take everything on our property that was lifeless and empty and barren and he would make it full and fertile and fruitful. And that's the very kind of imagery that Isaiah likes. Isaiah loves this imagery from creation, from the natural world. Last week, Ben preached about this shoot that comes up from the stump of Jesse. He preached about wolves and lambs lying down together. Isaiah loves this imagery from creation. And that's precisely what we get this morning in chapter 35. In 35, Isaiah gives us more of this creation imagery, and he gives us this before and after picture. He shows us the before, before God shows up and arrives, and he shows us the after. That when the Lord comes, everything that is lifeless and barren and empty becomes fruitful and fertile and full. And that's what we see in Isaiah 35, even beginning in verses 1 and 2. Isaiah says, The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. So Isaiah starts with these three images of disarray and disrepair. 
Walter Brueggemann calls it a, a triad of deathliness, right? There's wilderness, there's dry land, and there's desert. Empty, barren, lifeless, wilderness, dry land, desert. This triad of deathliness. And then he gives us the reverse. That's the before. But then Isaiah gives us the after. He gives us three more images. He gives us images of life. He gives us Lebanon, Carmel, and Sharon. You've probably heard of Lebanon, not just modern-day Lebanon, but throughout the Bible, Lebanon is famous for its cedar trees, right? The cedars of Lebanon that Solomon used to construct the temple in Jerusalem. So Lebanon and Carmel were basically these beautiful forested mountain ranges. And Sharon was a plain that was abundant with life and fruitfulness. It was associated with the favor of God, God's blessing and prosperity. So Isaiah is saying that the glory of Lebanon, of Carmel and Sharon, is going to come to the wilderness, the dry land, the desert. That when God shows up, he's going to bring life and fruitfulness to those dry, empty places. Now, I'm no John Tompkins, but I love national parks. I absolutely love national parks. I can't live up to John. He's way, way ahead of me on the journey to see them all. But if you've been to my office, you know that I I love America's national parks because, again, I grew up in South Dakota, southeastern. It was boring. It was flat. It was this frozen tundra wasteland. And so when I step into a national park, I step into awe and wonder and beauty and peace. And so... I love national parks because I've just kind of never lived somewhere that was breathtakingly beautiful. I lived for two decades in South Dakota, and now I've lived for a decade in Oklahoma, and yes, it's it's nice. (laughs) I enjoy Oklahoma. Everybody talks about the sunsets and how beautiful they are, and they are, but also I feel like bragging about your sunsets is like going to an art museum and complimenting the lights. You know, that's supposed to be shining light on the masterpieces and the landscapes, right? But so I can't come to this text without thinking of this idea, what if I could take that barren, frozen tundra of southeastern South Dakota and I could raise up Yosemite? What if I could take the central Oklahoma flat red dirt clay And we could bring up El Capitan and Half Dome and Yosemite Valley and the Tioga High Country and just bring all this beauty and glory to a place that is so flat and dry. What if? That's the very thing that Isaiah is talking about here. He's talking about bringing that glory of Lebanon, bringing that beauty of Carmel, that fruitfulness of Sharon into the places of wilderness and dry land and desert in the world. And it's here, before we move on, that I think we should acknowledge that Advent is not just about pointing us towards future peace, but Advent is also about acknowledging the current chaos. You'll notice that the verse talks about the wilderness shall be glad. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. 
This is going to happen, but right now, many of us still experience wilderness and dry land and desert. Advent is a time to look ahead to the coming arrival and peace of God, but it's also a time to remember and confess that we live in wilderness and dry land and desert oftentimes. The holidays are a season renowned for feeling wilderness and dry land and desert even in the midst of fruitfulness. And I think that acknowledgement is important as we continue on in Isaiah 35. In verse 3, he says, Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, Be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense or retribution. He will come and save you. Because Advent announces this reality of wilderness and dry land and desert, we know Advent as a time when we want wrongs to be righted. When we want wrongs to be redressed, we want wrongs to be even avenged, to use the language of our passage, vengeance. It's a strong word. It's, it kind of hits our ears harshly, doesn't it? In fact, uh, there's a new Star Wars movie coming out pretty soon here, and you might not know, with the original trilogy, the third movie called Return of the Jedi, that was the original title, but there was quite a long time where George Lucas actually changed the title to Revenge of the Jedi, because uh, somebody had said, you know, Return, that's not a very strong title, that's kind of weak, and so it was Revenge of the Jedi for a long, long time, and then just weeks before it opened in theaters, he changed it back to Return of the Jedi, because Lucas said, I don't think a Jedi would take revenge. That's a strong term, it's, it's harsh language to us at times, isn't it? But I think when we take seriously the true gravity of sin and death and horror in the world. Language like vengeance almost doesn't feel strong enough. When we really take seriously the gravity of the horrors that humankind has wrought and experienced, when we take seriously slavery and abuse, torture, war, genocide, when we really take that seriously, this, these words give us language for something we feel on a deep level that these wrongs need to be redressed, need to be made right. And in fact, this is the language of Israel. I think it's important to remember. This is the language of an oppressed people, a people who from day one enslaved in Egypt, embattled, under the thumb of Pharaoh, oppressed. A people, the language of Isaiah from exile. They're in Babylon, far from home. Their homes killed and destroyed, scattered in captivity. And so I think when we read this text from the vantage of an oppressed people, people longing for justice, it makes a lot more sense to us for a people to say, I want a God who will come alongside me, a mighty God who will say, they did what to you? 
Now they're going to have to come face to face with me. You know, from the quiet comfort of our suburban lives, many of us, vengeance strikes us as harsh. But I think from the vantage point of an oppressed people who cry out for radical justice and righteousness, these words give us language for a longing that we have for wrongs to be made right. And in fact, that's exactly what Isaiah is getting at, right? Look at the context. Verse 3, he says, Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, Be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. The vengeance and recompense of God is not reason to fear. It's reason to get rid of fear. Right? God is coming alongside you. Your mighty God, your conquering king is coming. So strengthen your weak hands. Make firm your feeble knees. That God is coming to what? To save you. The whole context, the whole purpose of this righteous wrath is to point towards restoration. Is to point towards salvation. To bring peace and harmony where there was chaos and devastation. That God will bring his retribution on the realm of the evil one. And in fact, I think this text is a nice complement to the text that we were in a couple weeks ago. Isaiah 2, when we talked about beating swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. The whole reason we can lay down our weapons of war is because we know we have a mighty God who will take up our cause. The whole reason we can beat swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks is because we trust in the God who has the weapons of the Spirit. We trust in the God who who told Moses to tell the Israelites, be still and I will fight for you. Our conquering king who comes to make all things right in the wilderness of this world. That is our hope at Advent. And we know that vengeance and recompense leads to salvation and healing because of Isaiah's very next words. The very next words, he he says, then. So God's going to come, and then, as a consequence, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. And the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For waters shall break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals shall become a swamp. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. God's vengeance and recompense are pointed towards healing. After God comes to save, that's when the mute sing, the lame leap, the deaf hear, the blind see. When God comes with that great reversal, the before and the after, when God brings the glory of Lebanon and Carmel and Sharon to the wilderness, the dry land, and the desert. 
And in fact, we were in the Gospel of Luke just last fall. And I got to preach from Luke chapter 7. You might remember it's that scene where John the Baptist is languishing in prison and he's starting to kind of wonder about Jesus, like, are you really the Messiah? Because you're doing things a bit differently than I was expecting. So are you it? Are you the one? And so he sends messengers, and they come to Jesus, and they say, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Jesus had just then cured many people of diseases, plagues, and evil spirits, and had given sight to many who were blind, and he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news brought to them, and blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. God's ultimate healing, God's bringing about of the good news of peace, begins and ends in Jesus Christ. It begins when Christ comes in that first advent, that first incarnation, when he comes to begin healing the lame, setting free the captives, bringing good news to the poor. Jesus is quoting Isaiah back to John the Baptist. Because Jesus is the beginning of that peace and Jesus is the end, the final fulfilled peace when he comes again at the end. The second coming, our hope of Advent. And that's the hope that Isaiah points toward at the end of our passage. In verse 8, A highway shall be there, and it shall be called the holy way. The unclean shall not travel on it, but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fools, shall go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads and they shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. We've been talking a bit about recompense this morning. Everybody in the green room was laughing me when I said that word. I said, take it up with the Revised Standard Version. But recompense is this word that has kind of an economic flavor to it. It's about making amends. Recompense is about requital, about this debt that is to be paid. When something is suffered or lost or destroyed, we want that to be made right, to be made whole. And there's this other word with an economic flavor at the end of this chapter. In verse 10, Isaiah says, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Ransom is this other kind of economic term about a price that must be paid, right? about a debt, an outstanding debt, and somebody who's been ransomed belongs to the person who pays that debt. Recompense, ransom. And the thing about recompense is that we all long for it. 
deep down on an intuitive level, I think even with just shallow, minor injustices, we long for it to be made right. We lend something to a friend, they break or destroy it, and we would kind of like them to replace that thing, to make it whole. And even in the deep, grave experiences of loss and destruction, like we talked about earlier, the, the deep intuition that we feel that when it comes to things like slavery, when it comes to things like apartheid and holocaust and genocide, that someone needs to pay for this. Something needs to make this right. This is a deep intuition we have about the world. And yet, at the very same time, we know intuitively that there is no possible way for a human being to make these things right. There is no possible way that a human being could pay that debt, could make things whole again in the face of truly grave evil and horror. And so what we find in Isaiah is that when God comes with recompense, he gives himself as the ransom. When God comes with recompense to make things whole, to make amends, he is the one who gives himself as the ransom. He is the one who gives himself all the way to the cross and to the resurrection to make things whole and right. We have this deep longing for justice, for righteousness, for things to be made whole, for the ledger to line up. We have this longing for the debt to be paid, and it is the debt that Jesus Christ pays. God gives himself as the ransom. Jesus says in Matthew 20 that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Sin and death have, have desecrated human life and creation, and human life and creation are of the utmost value, the utmost value, and only God, only the God-man in Christ could redeem that, could ransom that so that we can walk on the holy way singing songs of joy to Zion, that we might walk even through the valley of the shadow of death, even through wilderness and dry land and desert, and know that Jesus is our conquering king. The God who comes with recompense, who has given himself as that very ransom. That's the God we find in Jesus Christ. That's the God we find this morning at the table. So I want to invite you, church, to come this morning to the tables and taste the fruit of his coming peace. Come to the tables.